what is going on you rogues rebels and renegades welcome to a brand new episode of the rogue country podcast today we have the mighty ed stengel from pawns or kings on but first how are you guys doing you keep them well i've got some amazing news for you and i really hope to see you at some of these shows the rogues round starts this week that's right on nottingham on the 14th of this month of October 2022, just in case you listen to this in the past, in the future, or wherever you are, in Nottingham on the 14th of October 2022, myself, Chris Dover, Cold Hands, and Ashley Harding are performing at the Running Horse. It's going to be phenomenal. It's free entry. Every gig on this little tour is free entry. And then next, on the 15th of October, we're in Sheffield at the Alder, and that's myself, Chris Dover again, Jody Davis from Fargo Railroad Company, and joining us in Sheffield is Josh Bettis. That's right, Josh is coming up for a show. I can't wait to hang out with him again. It's been too long. Well, it hasn't been too long. It was June, so it's about the right amount of time to see him again. And then the final date on Sunday, the 16th of October, we're in Bradford at the Boring Fable, and that is just going to be an intimate little evening with myself, Chris Dover, and Jody Davis from Fargo Railroad. These are all free entry gigs, so you have no excuse if you are in Bradford, Nottingham, or Sheffield to come on down, bring your friends, let's share some stories, and sing some songs. It's going to be brilliant. We are at episode 54 of the Rogue Country Podcast, and I can't believe we're past 50 episodes. I cannot thank you enough for listening. We recently just hit over 3,000 downloads of the Rogue Country podcast. I am so happy with that. The reception from Chris Dover's episode has been great. The reception from Alex Conley's episode has been great. And I can't wait to see what we get to do next. Me and Josh have been talking and we have decided it is time for a brand new Rogue Country t-shirt. So the order has been put in and we are getting brand new Rogue Country t-shirts printed. They're going to be hand printed on a silk screen press by my friend Paul from Pick Screen Printings. He does all my merch and I cannot wait to see these. They're going to be a softer style of t-shirts as well. So they're going to be super duper comfy. Follow our Facebook, Instagram, all our social media platforms to find out when they are released. Hoping to have them on tour as well and they will definitely be on our band camp and then let's talk about someone else's tour i'm kind of involved in it so it's still a bit selfish but let's talk about nick shoulders if you listen to this podcast if you're a fan of gems on vhs if you're fans of western af if you're a fan of good country music you know who nick shoulders is nick shoulders has been taking the country world by storm and he is coming over to the uk for his first tour ever this november grave dancer is coming with him on all dates and from the 2nd of november to the 15th of november he is hitting the uk he's going to be at glasgow on the second edinburgh on the third newcastle on the fourth southampton on the fifth bolton on the sixth and that's where i'm opening for him then he's going to leeds on the eighth london on the ninth swansea on the 10th and on the 10th in swansea is when josh bettis is opening for him yes we've got two rogues on that tour and then he's moving over to ireland from the 12th in Galway, the 14th in Dublin, and then the 15th in Belfast. You don't want to miss this tour because this is one of those tours where people will say, did you see him? And you'll go, nah, I missed him just because, you know, I couldn't be bothered and he'll be back. And he will be back, but he'll be back in bigger venues with bigger audiences. And this is going to be one of those intimate, incredible things of seeing a star on the rise. So I urge you to get your tickets right now. I'm going to be joining him in Bolton at the York on the 6th. Josh has joined him in Swansea at the Bunkhouse on the 10th, and this is going to be an epic tour, but let's get down to business. 
Pawns or Kings are an American Gothic country folk band from the heart of the northern Ozark Mountains. Ed is their singer and banjo player and leader. And I first became aware of Ed through his TikTok videos. We're on TikTok now. It's not as cringy as you think. Come on and get with it because it's a great tool to promote your music and find new music. If you're just a fan of music, you don't have anything to promote, come on and join us and find the music you love. This isn't an advert for TikTok. I just really think it's a great platform to be on right now. But Ed and Pawns or Kings have really had an interesting kind of trajectory in the social media sphere. How his platform and his audiences vary from Facebook to TikTok to Twitter to Instagram, I think is really interesting. I really think if you don't really know much about music marketing and how to present yourself online, this is a podcast for you. If you're just interested in the music and things, you're just going to love this. We get into some of his darker country side of things. And I think this is really an interesting and awesome chat to be involved. And I can't thank Ed enough for taking the time to talk to me about all this. And I was just blown away about his knowledge and his passion and his creativity. So without further ado, you guys let's get down to it this is episode 54 of the road country podcast with mike west and pawns or kings briefly talking about him teaching you lived in indonesia for a while has that informed your music in any way or your perspective on music because obviously indonesia there's a whole you know when you're in the west you don't really realize how big other types of music are in other places so did that inform you in any way when you start going niche with gothic country and that type of thing yeah, I think definitely my experience in Indonesia played a really big part in just kind of my headspace. So I've been playing with Ponzer Kings since 2009. Mm. We, we've been together for a long time. Uh, we used to be a five-piece folk band before I moved to Jakarta. And then we all kind of came apart for a while. We'd been, we'd been touring. Um, it was kind of hard to find success in that mm. era kind of the music blog era if you didn't if you didn't hit it big with a big music blog you didn't get a like a big positive review it was just really hard to kind of penetrate past Mm. your your local scene and so we all needed a big break and I had no money and so actually interestingly enough is we were planning a tour for the UK oh yeah and uh because most of our fan base was actually uh located around London and Birmingham and so we we really wanted to go and uh give that a shot, but we didn't have enough money to do it. So Mm. I ended up signing a contract in Indonesia so that I could start putting money forward so that we could tour the UK. And while I was over uh, in Indonesia, um, the band just kind of fell apart Mm. and we kind of went our separate ways. And so a a big effect, I would say that my time in Indonesia had was my music got a lot darker. I didn't write anything Mm. for about almost those whole three years. I'm a, I'm a country boy and uh, I was living in Jakarta and that was hard to do living up in like the 30th floor. And so I was, I tried to write so many songs and they just, they'd get a couple lines in and I couldn't go any further. And so I thought at that time, maybe music was done for me. Maybe Mm. I, I don't know. I, I was, I was constantly tired because they'll, they'll work you hard if you work in Indonesia, anywhere in Asia, really. So when I came back to the United States, um, I had met my wife actually uh, while I was over there. And so um, we ended up getting married and uh, I didn't know if music was going to ever be something that came back. And uh, the guitarist from my old five piece moved back from Canada where he'd been. And uh, we thought maybe we'd give it another shot. And so we recorded 
a whole bunch of little songs just in my in my downstairs for this little country house about I bought and uh anymore uh was the first song we released and it's it's a song about thinking that I might be done with music I mean the the lyrics it was the first song I'd written in Mm. maybe four or five years I had had such bad writer's block so it was kind of a song about writer's block and thinking that I'm done with singing and I'm done with playing and uh that song ended up being our most successful song we'd ever made Mm. and uh Eventually, Universal Records came knocking and uh, wanted to sign us to a short-term deal. And so, you know, that that kind of dark angle to our music is something that I think was always kind of latent inside us. But we were really worried at first about not sounding like everybody else, um, you know, at the record labels or whatever that we really wished we could be signed by. But I think in this new era... Um, when we realized it didn't matter and uh, we might as well just do what we want to do. Um, you'll kind of notice all our releases since anymore, just progressively get a little bit darker and a little <laughs> bit darker. And uh, I don't know, the whole Gothic country thing is uh, I just, I didn't realize it would pop off like it did. Yeah. It, it's a crazy one. How that is, but going back to what you're saying, obviously, starting in 09 and i like was reading up on you guys and you know you kind of started off in that indie folk thing and i saw some of your early videos and it does have because 2009 was like mumford and sons were like (laughs) at the peak and it was that type of indie folk thing wait did you feel an external pressure to try and like dress and look and sound that way in the hope of getting that thing and then obviously as you realized that kind of fell by the wayside that gothic dark sound that was more inherently yourself you were just like, fuck it. If we can't get in the way we want to, what's the point? Yeah, it was, there was definitely that. Um, my, my friends, my band was made up of my friends that I went to mm. high school with. And so we'd actually played in a, a pretty dark progressive metal band before we had started doing folk. And uh, basically we, our music that we were writing was way too complicated for us <laughs> to play live. And uh and it was just way too niche. We were making just really weird, dark, progressive music. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're all from Missouri. And, you know, bluegrass is is the traditional music here. And uh, we started kind of settling back into our roots after a while. Um, I went through a really bad health scare um, when I was a, an older teen, when I was around 19, mm. and I was in the hospital. And that's when I started writing slower, sad stuff. But yeah, Mumford and Sons was huge. And I think that we had, there was just a lot of encouragement that we got, you know, because I play banjo and before Mumford and Sons got popular, playing a banjo anywhere would have got you laughed out of the room. But they just, they exploded so, so fast, uh, especially in certain areas in the US, that, you know, the more that we acted like them, the more success we had, the Mm. more venues wanted to hire us we kind of started dressing the way we did back then because uh, I'd been watching a documentary on the Beatles. And one of the things that they're, um, I forget his name, but the, the image consultant that kind of made them into who they were in the sixties had said that you needed a uniform when you went to work, you know, you needed something that made you look like you were a specific band. Yeah. And so, you know, wearing the, uh, the dress shirts and the, uh, and the suspenders and the, you know, the, the wool cap, that was just kind of like, 
it was sort of what I already wore, just a lot more exaggerated. And so we mm. thought, you know, we were going to have this theatric element to us, kind of like, you know, Mumford and Sons had made that popular. But what's funny is we hadn't actually like we weren't trying to copy Mumford and Sons. We were kind of already doing something like that when Mumford and Sons became popular. And so it just happened to like the stars aligned. Yeah. And uh, the Lumineers had started to become kind of big and we were actually going to be an opening act for them the summer that they ended up blowing up and hey ho went to number one mm. so we ended up missing out on opening uh for them and uh but yeah like as time got on i think you just get older when you're when you're younger you tend to emulate the success that you want you tend yeah. to act like the artist that you you want the success of and as time got on i think i just got tired yeah and you know, I'm not, I I don't try to wear a uniform anymore to uh, to my music job. And I think that in the country music world, that's weird. It's not weird if you're playing metal or if you're you know punk or something. But in the country music world, there's still this idea that you got to dress your handsomest. You got to wear your tight jeans and your you know your uh, your denim Wrangler jacket and your cowboy hat and I get a lot of crap from people because I don't wear cowboy hats. Mm, yeah. And uh, the main reason I don't is because I don't want annoying people telling me I'm wearing it backwards everywhere I go. <laughs> Cause that's the thing that happens, man. Like country artists, you look under their, their uh, videos, they'll just be like hundreds of people saying the hats backwards, no matter which way you wear it. Yeah. It's a weird one with country because it's always got that, you know, it's saying how authentic and honest and real it is. But you, they also want them dressed in like nudie suits and rhinestones. And it's like that Tyler Mayanko said in one of his podcasts. It was like no one was picking cotton in a nudie suit. And it's <laughs> one of those things where it's that kind of juxtaposition that I think even country fans don't really get is they want both things at the same time. Like when I play live, it's behind me now. I have um, a patch jacket and one half is like country patch. So I've got Willie Nelson and Sturgill and Woody Guthrie. And the other side, I've got like clutch and Lincoln Park, and Sabbath, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what I wear on stage, because of the type of heavier stuff I do, I wanted to try and show that almost as a uniform, but in a way that I thought was more authentic, and showed like my punk and metal background. Yeah, and that's pretty big. Um, a lot of former punk guys that I know are now in the folk world. Um, I recently got to get to know and talk for a while with a uh, Scott from Briggs, bridge city centers. And, yeah. you know, they're def they're, they're definitely like they're hardcore punk played on. Yeah. Folk instruments. And I, I love it. And, you know, it's a, it's a really unique thing that makes traditional country people twist their face up. And mm. I think when I first started, I desperately wanted the approval of those classic country people. Yeah. You know, I wanted saving country music. I wanted Trigger from saving country music to approve of me. You know, I wanted, you know, that whole kind of 2014 alt country movement. I wanted all of them, you know, to think of me as one of them. Yeah. And I just realized that that was kind of that'd be, that was fake of me to do that. Mm. Like if, if I really wanted to be authentic, I had to show that darkness and yeah. the darkness is just it's just where we're comfortable when writing music. I mean, we have an album coming out next month and it's going to be the least dark album. I think we've, we're going to ever release. Mm. It's a, it's a collection of some of our older songs that needed to be remixed. And uh, finally we can give the professional treatment to 
a bunch of songs that I think needed it. But it's going to kind of be like these are these are the closest thing to happy songs you're going to get from us <laughs> before we uh, start giving you the the really grungy stuff that we've got uh, we've got deep back in the closet right now. Mm. No, right. I'm on over here in the UK. It's kind of similar when I started out, and the biggest thing in UK country music scene over here is there's these like not necessarily gatekeepers, but these organizations that. From my ears, it's pop country, but done in a way that really takes from like Oasis and Mike and the Mechanics. And it sounds like that to me. And I remember when I first started out, it was, you know, banging my head against the wall, trying to get these people to like me because in my head, same thing what you thought about. It's like, you need that kind of approval if you want to just try and get ahead. And then as you realize you're doing this darker stuff, you can find these niches. Like I am played with Bridge City Sinners in August. And mm-hmm. they bring out a crowd that's so versatile and so varied and interesting that you have those hardcore country fans next to, you know, diehard punk fans. And it's those type of people that you realize are the ones who are actually, you know, buying the records and streaming the singles on Spotify. It's not those people up on the tower who are actually going to make or break you anymore. Yeah. And it was it was a great revelation to realize that we just didn't need a record mm. deal anymore. Like, even 10 years ago, like making it as an indie was almost impossible. You at least needed an indie label to to push you because, you know, you had bands like Fleet Foxes or whatever who, you know, were on Sub Pop. But still, Sub Pop had a lot of resources and they yep. got bought out by, I think it was Atlantic. And so every, even the indies were normally owned by a major label. And after our experience with Universal, uh, with just a one song deal, we did a 50-50 I got to have a lot of really cool one-on-one sessions with uh, with my handler, essentially, from Universal. Mm. And he was from Universal Amsterdam. And he just taught me a ton about, you know, where what their research was showing of where the music industry was going. And he was just straight out with me. And he's like, you can do this stuff on your own. He's like, you know, I, my goal here isn't to, like, grab your music and, you know, do the old classical thing where I tell you what to do and then you record mm. it. He's like, what I really want to do is I want to see, you know, what you can become. And I want to see you running everything yourself, you know, if you can. And he's like, and with me, if you need some money, I want to be able to give you some money. And then, you know, we can go 50-50 like a, like a business venture. And, you know, that's where you have artists like Tyler Childers or Zach Bryan or even mm-hmm. Cody Johnson. All of them have got those types of deals where they're in the driver's seat and the record label just offers them some money like a loan really and gives them their resources you know to all the cool studios and backing musicians and whatever but you can do it yourself and there's a lot of weirdos out there who want weirdo music (laughs) yeah thank god for us right and uh and so you know just meeting somebody like the the bridge city centers or in tihon street corner Mm. or corner street thieves street corner thieves um who are all kind of, you know, they've made a name for themselves in these really niche areas. Um, but social media has shown us that there's a lot more people who are interested yeah. in unique stuff. And kind of, as you were saying with the gatekeepers in country is country music more than any other genre is kind of stuck in the past yeah. in a lot of ways, even the pop country, the way that they do the, the way they do their music, the way they do their business um, they're so slow uh, to adapt to the way that the industry is moving. And so 
you know, social media is something that most country artists, even the really famous ones are still really struggling with Mm. because most of their audience are older people who still listen to FM radio. Um, And it used to be in country music, you had to make top 40 radio or you were nobody. I I don't even register my songs for the charts because I don't care. Yeah. You know, I I don't don't even care about the Americana charts because the Americana movement has kind of come and gone as well. Now it's a it's a bit of a free for all. You I feel like a lot of different artists have just kind of made alliances with each other. Mm. You know, now we're just like, we don't have to be competition. We can all be friends. You know, back in the old record deal days, we were always fighting over you know, release times and who was going to cut into each other's release. But now we're just, we're having fun. And, you know, and I love it. I love how, you know, I've had all sorts of musicians uh, that I love reach out to me just saying, Hey, look, mm. let's just talk. Let's, let's, let's talk and uh, become friends. Mm. Oh, I love that. No, totally, man. That's the best and purest thing that it should be. And that's the best thing about social media is, you know, like we get to connect online from like halfway across the world you get to reach out to people and reach folks that you wouldn't have ever dreamt of doing even five ten years ago when i always remember folks were telling me like you know i still get this sometimes in my comments because i love making videos about history of country music scenes in in other countries Mm. outside the united states because a lot of folks in the united states have no idea that there are you know country scenes all over europe and in australia and you know especially in places like germany you know, places that you, you wouldn't expect or in Brazil. Yeah. The one you did on Sweden recently was really cool. Yeah. That's, that's one of my old TikTok videos. I'm slowly moving a lot of my TikTok material over onto Instagram. Um, I've kind of recognized that Instagram may be where my audience is a little bit stronger because, you know, I've got about, I got 220,000 followers on TikTok, but TikTok's a fickle beast. Mm. The, the folks who watch videos on TikTok are a lot more passive than the yeah. folks who watch videos on Instagram. And so, you know, I started getting these ideas for highlighting artists all over the all over the world who were playing country because I had just kind of mentioned that I really liked a Finnish bluegrass band, uh, Steven Seagulls. Yeah. And uh and a lot of people were like, oh, there's there's no country music in Finland. And then there's Finnish people who are like, there is no there's no bluegrass musicians in Finland. And I'm like, no, I know there are because they just submitted one of their songs to me for my playlist. And I loved it. And then, you know, in Australia, it has a huge country scene. And I know that in the UK, country music has always been right there under the mm-hmm. radar in, in Ireland as well. Because yeah. I know Garth Brooks cleans up when he goes to the UK. Yeah, man. And he, you know, he could play Wembley if he wanted to, and mm. they'd probably sell it out. But of course, tons of people in the UK say, oh, no, man, no way. <laughs> I'm from London and I've never heard any country music. And I'm like, oh, of course you haven't. You like, I, you know, the the rural music of the UK is just so much like, you know, yeah. folk music in the United States because they have similar roots to one another. I haven't done one about the UK, but I will eventually. <laughs> I'm slowly, I, I have to kind of balance what I do for the community and what I do for my own music. Yeah. And I've, I, I've, I've never been like quite comfortable yet in uh, what my role is as far as that goes, you know, because I want to be able to push my own music without being annoying. Yeah. And I want to still keep pushing other artists that I really like, you know, and I, I always tell them, you know, I'm not interested in money or 
sponsorships from artists. You know, if I like the music, I'm going to push it, which one guy. So I've got a huge queue of music that I always mm-hmm. got to listen to. Normally I'll, I'll have a cigar or a pipe and I'll walk around in my backfield. <laughs> I've got a couple acres out here and then I'll listen to whatever music's been pitched to me. And your music's in that queue, by the way, friend. Thanks so much. <laughs> uh, and so normally, you know, I'll listen to an artist and then if I like it, I'll, I'll put it on my, my personal playlist that I, I push. And I've recognized that's a little bit easier to say, listen to this playlist and then I can put bands that I like on it and then, you know, slowly but surely get around to making videos about it. But on TikTok, it's like some videos will just take off and mm. get millions of views and some will get none. And I still don't really know the difference no, between the two weird, videos. It's a weird one. It is. And, you know, I've, I've had, you know, record companies and I've had managers come to me being like, oh, you got to give us a master class on like, how do, how do you make it in TikTok? And I'm like, I still don't know. <laughs> like, I've got all these followers, but I've got no idea if a video is going to do terrible or if it's going to be all right. Now, mm-hmm. if I make a video about like Tyler Childers or Zach Bryan or something, it's going to get a couple hundred thousand viewers because people love those artists and yeah. they're controversial in certain ways. And so, you know, I'll always make a video about them every now and then just to, to keep people listening. But I want to always sprinkle in smaller artists that I really think deserve it. And I feel kind of bad for a lot of artists who are really good, frankly, much better musicians than me who just can't figure out how social media works. Yeah. And, and I, and that's one of the reasons why I make the videos that I do, because when an artist really struggles with social media, well, at least I sort of know what I'm doing. And mm. so I, I might as well offer whatever clout I have to, you know, musicians that I really like. I, I went and saw this band called South uh, for winter. Um, they're, they're partially from New Zealand, partially from the United States and they do, murder folk it's pretty Mm. dark stuff and uh i saw them at a really small venue out here in southern missouri and i was uh having a whiskey with them after um and they'd been touring straight for like five years and uh they still had you know like two thousand monthly listeners on spotify now of course spotify isn't you know just because you have lower numbers on spotify doesn't mean that you're failing or anything yeah but i really thought like man how am I near, near pushing, you know, a hundred thousand listeners when, you know, these guys can only get 2000. So I thought I'll make a video for them. And, and then within three days, they were, you know, at 30,000. Mm. And I was just like, this is amazing. Like, this is a rush. Yeah. I like a band and I can just like tell people about them and then people go and listen to them. And, you know, and that pushes them to another step in their career. And the fact that I can help people like that is I think the most fun thing about all this because you know i'm it'd be really boring if all i did was push my own music yeah you know i've, I've only got so many songs when there's an <laughs> infinite amount of great songs out there yeah. and it's it's been a weird one because i don't know some people kind of have come to see me as a something of a leader in this whatever i don't know this online scene mm. of independent country artists <laughs> I've had a couple people just be like, you know, why do you deserve this? You know, why, why do you, why do you get all these people listening to you? And I'm just like, I, I don't. Yeah. That's the thing. I'm just a guy talking in my barn most of the time. Yeah. It's, it's a weird one with this kind of thing though. Cause I get what you're saying. Like with this podcast, me and my friend, Josh, we set up road country to try and promote like UK and international artists. And it is like, we try to keep our music out of it, but at the same time, 
you still want to push your music. You know, that's still one of the focuses for you. And it's trying to find that balance. But having people be like, well, how come you get to do that? And I don't. It's like, because I fucking work for them. And you <laughs> put the time and you make those videos and you reach those people and you're trying something. And that's, I don't know if you have this kind of thought process, but when we want to help someone or push someone or we write bios and things, we want to see that person doing it as well. They may not be as adapt or like amazing at social media as you want them to be or even you know but if they're trying you feel like you want to push them a bit more instead of if they post like every three months and it's just like a really poor live clip it's you want to be seeing them putting the same energy and effort and even if they aren't getting as far as they should be you want to see them clawing their way through it because then you want to support them. And it's not just the music, it's their whole like attitude and adventure to it. Yeah. The one thing that really puts me off is when I talk to indie artists and they complain about how much it sucks to be alive today. And they wish they had been playing music 20 years ago. And it sucks so bad that they have to make TikToks and Instagrams in order for people to listen to them and, and they act like they're too good for it. Mm. And I'm like, why do you think you're going to find sympathy with me? Like you're, you're acting like <laughs> you're too good for this. Like, I'm not too good for this. I'm doing this every day. Like, I'm like, this is a gift that you're not taking. Yeah. 20 years ago, you, you would have no traction anywhere, nowhere, no. How. Yeah. If they think if they wanted to go back, like even like 50 years and they want to go up against, you know, George Jones, Loretta Lynn, Johnny Cash releasing singles, and they think they're going to reach that level, do you really think you wouldn't have a better right now where you can just reach as many people as you can? Right. And in that era, you had to sell a bit of your soul if you wanted yeah. anybody to hear you. You know, you you couldn't just release something. You'd have to have a record deal. The way you get a record deal is by playing live for years until you get the reputation of being the band of your music scene. And then maybe a record label scout comes out and watches you live, asks you to come and cut a demo with them. And if they like the demo, maybe they'll want to sign you to a deal where they get most of the money from what yeah. you make anyways. And that's a very long, arduous process. And most people don't, don't get that opportunity at all. Mm. Whereas today the, the record labels are chasing. They're not the ones star making anymore. I mean, even since I started making videos two years ago, it's changed. Mm. I made a video that got a couple million views when I just first blew up by pure chance on TikTok. I'd been trying. I'd posted 50 videos that failed miserably, couldn't even get above 100 views. Mm. And I, I was, it was humiliating, but I was doing it because Universal told me I had to. They said, you just keep doing this. And eventually, if, you're, if you be yourself, something's going to happen. And the thing is, is you kind of have to figure out who you are. Yeah. You know, and so I was... I was just feeling old and out of date. And, and then I just kind of had had it. I'd ran out of my budget from Universal and I hadn't really gone anywhere with it. And so I just made a video ranting about the state of country music and how frustrated mm -hmm. I was. And I was just like, you know, I meet so many people who tell me they hate country music. So many people who say I love every genre, but country music. I'm like, one, you're a liar. You're not listening to grindcore. <laughs> But two, I kept thinking, I don't think a lot of these people really hate country music. I think that they, they hate the extremely pop derivative stuff that they hear on Top 40 Radio, which 
just sounds like other pop music. Yeah. I mean, I was in a store a couple of days ago and they were playing a, a song that was a couple years old, but I don't really keep up with pop country. So I don't hear a lot of the big hits, a song that had been on the charts for 50 weeks straight. Uh, it was meant to be by BB, whatever featuring uh, Florida, Georgia line had never heard it. Mm. And I was hearing it in this store and all the people around me were singing along to it. And it was wretched. Like it was, <laughs> it's just the same chorus over and yeah. over with heavy auto tune and you know everything in the back was like a hip-hop beat like nothing about that was country it's not that, no. you know i didn't like it it's not like it's objectively a terrible song it just wasn't country at all and you know I, i'm listening to this and i'm just thinking like i now live in an industry where i don't have to listen to that i don't have to yep. sound like that at all and I'm betting a lot of people who hear this and think it sucks, if they listen to Culture Wall or Tyler Childers or Cody Jenks or kind of like these, the harbingers of a, of a new era of country mm. that kind of came in 2016, like, I bet they'd love it. Yeah. Because that's what happened to me. I mean, I grew up listening to country. My dad played Alan Jackson every second of the day in the car. My mom played Shania Twain. And uh, I had rejected it. And I was a metalhead. I didn't want anything <laughs> to do with it. And uh, my my friend in, in my band started sending me Billy Strings videos, which I loved. And I was just like, man, this is this is great. But that's bluegrass. It's not country. And then he sent me Coulter Wall's uh, 17 Brewery videos where he's mm. singing you know, his his early EP stuff. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, like, that's my kind of music. Like, that's the stuff I've been writing, but not recording because I think that nobody wants it. Yeah. And now here we are. Walter Wall's huge. I mean, as huge as he wants to be, I guess he could be way bigger, but he doesn't want to be any bigger. And I, mm. I totally get that. And, uh, you know, so I realized the place where we were going to find our fans wasn't in those legacy country fans who yeah. gate so hard. It wasn't going to be with saving country music. As much as I love trigger, he was never going to listen to my music. He, he became too important. Um, but all those folks who I know would like country music, if they gave it a chance, yeah, if I gave them the right artists and that's what started the, I suppose the unique thing about my, my channels is I'm aiming at non-country fans mm. and I'm trying to convert them into country fans. And that was a huge untapped population, I guess. Mm. I didn't, I didn't think that I was the first person to do it, but apparently for a lot of people, they thought I was. And so, you know, I didn't, didn't earn anything and i wouldn't say that i'm any special person in the community other than i was willing to humiliate myself time and time again i still am i guess i teach middle school uh, middle years levels and so that would be you know like 12 through 16 year olds yeah and i humiliate myself every day talking <laughs> to those kids who are you know i'm not i'm not really all that cool and so if i can humiliate myself in front of them i can humiliate myself online and so I, I just wanted to take a step out and challenge some people. And of course, I still get every day hundreds of messages from people telling me I'm a horrible, evil hillbilly hick who should go die and that they'll never listen to country. Or they'll say something like, there hasn't been a good country artist since Johnny Cash. Prove me wrong. And I'm like, I could easily do that. Yeah. But you didn't listen to a single artist I just told you to listen to. So I'm not going to try. Or older country outlaw fans who are just like, you know, you're nobody. You're nobody compared to Hank 
junior. Mm. Yeah, of course, but I'm not, I'm not trying to be a junior. I'm not trying to, you know, sing before Monday night NFL football, Mm. just trying to, you know, make songs that make sense to me and reflect what life is in the Ozark mountains. And, uh, you know, there are people who are desperate to hear their story. Yeah. Where where are you from in the UK? I forgot. So I'm over the water from Liverpool on a little peninsula just on on the other side of the river, Mersey and the Wirral. Um, But we had quite a strong like country scene back in the day, like um, the Liverpool Philharmonic um, and the Liverpool Empire. We had like Buck Owens and Willie Nelson play there and stuff. And we had some really cool like Liverpool bands in the 60s because it was like Mm -hmm. the Mersey beat like the Beatles and stuff kind of came out of Skiffle. Skiffle kind of came out of folk and then it's like it starts muddying up around country so there were like a load of country fans back in the day so there were some really cool country bands that kind of took off from there and it's been a really interesting thing that that's kind of been forgotten about now and that's one of the things I try and do is you know I love going around like all the old record stores around here and trying to find the old records of these local country bands because they're, they're normally in the charity shops and stuff it's really fun to uh, do. I love doing stuff like that too. I, I buy most of my, my vinyl records I buy from thrift stores, which, you know, is second, third hand. Yeah. I, I buy stuff from the forties uh, to the early sixties most of the time. Um, yeah. My brother actually lives in Cambridge. So I, oh, yeah. I'm pretty yeah, familiar. I what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the UK and I've visited uh, once before got to spend a, uh, a December up in the the Northeast, which I really liked. And I've got quite a few friends in the UK. And so mm. I've, I've been really interested. And so I'd like to, you know, collaborate and you can, you can give me some, uh, some of those old country bands mm. uh, for me to listen into before I make a video about it. Yeah, man, that'd be right. And, it, and it's just, you know, I, I know that there's artists who genuinely love country music who live all over the world who, you know, it's, it's impossible to to really break through and find that audience that you know I yeah. know you know people will love. Um, you know, if you live in say Stockholm, First Aid Kit wrote a song about how much they love country music, and yet there were still you know Swedish teenagers telling me no one in Sweden likes country at all. I promise. Mm. And I'm like, there are so many famous Swedish country like songwriters in Nashville yeah. still today. Like so many of the big time songwriters who are writing all these smash hits are from northern europe mm. and and a lot of people don't know that a lot of and a lot of them write pop music too like they're machines yeah but it's it's an exciting time i mean it is it's stressful to think like okay my career uh completely depends on my ability to keep making videos that people want to see mm. and i've started having celebrities following me on instagram and that it's weird. Like, I don't want to like make a big deal of it because I don't want them to think I'm weird, but it's like when celebrities that I recognize from, you know, when I, who were really famous when I was a teenager following me and watching my videos, I'm just, (laughs) it puts an extra bit of pressure uh, that I never really expected. Um, and so, you know, I've, I guess I'm just going to try to take it as far as it can go. And I don't know how far that is. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing as kind of what you do. It's the same thing as like with your music, you're creating something that's an extension of yourself. So as long as you're approaching it, like honestly, and with an open mind that I've seen you do, you can kind of just keep going for as long as you want, really. And you can obviously see that reaction happening with 
those things. And what I found really interesting about you was obviously like the TikTok thing has completely blown up because I've got your stats here, which I always found like interesting because for years, especially from like 09 onwards, like Facebook was seen as the big thing. And, you know, on Facebook, you've got 1.5 thousand followers. On Instagram, it's nearly 70,000. And then on TikTok, it's 220,000. And it's obviously you've kind of adjusted your focus to focus on the platforms that you're getting the most engagement on. And like saying before, you have TikTok, but I always kind of see TikTok as it's like a TV where people are just like channel surfing. Instagram is where the people who like lock on really lock on. And it's funny because it wasn't that way even a year ago. Like even a year ago, Instagram was almost a dead platform. Yeah. Because they they hadn't really started the reels yet. And people on Instagram were going to scroll. And they were, you know, TikTok. The big thing about TikTok is that the volume's on. Yeah. uh, Automatically. So they can hear your song. Whereas in Instagram, it's automatically off and they have to turn it on. Mm. And it is hard to get folks to turn on volume. I mean, I was using ads on Instagram for years and just spinning my wheels and getting nowhere and wasting all my money Um, because we'd pick up fans. It's just that there was no, it wasn't cost effective at all. And if you're not like off-putting your costs, it's just a hobby. It's not a, it's not a job. No. And, you know, my wife was starting to get upset with me because I, uh, I kept pumping all my money that I was making on my side jobs into music and it wasn't going anywhere. And she had a very serious talk with me a couple of years ago. Like, like, I don't know, maybe you should be just considering that maybe this just isn't going anywhere. Was that in I the ca- sense, was that in the sense of the costs going towards the music production and stuff? Or was it the ads and the kind of getting your music out there in terms of like the PR side of things? It was the ads and the PR, which mm. was, it was draining. And I had to ask myself, is this worth it? If, you know, I'm going to just constantly be in the red every yeah. year, you know, pushing Instagram ads when I'm against, you know, hundreds of thousands of other artists who are vying for that spot and vying for the ear of whoever it is we're targeting. And uh, I, I kind of just stopped doing it because I couldn't afford it. Yeah, I started accepting submissions through SubmitHub. I started working for SubmitHub because I needed money mm. to keep pushing my own music. And so I'd actually, this is kind of funny. I started my playlists originally just because I needed the money from mm. SubmitHub. Um, and I thought, you know, I could meet some other artists through this. This would be fun. And I met a lot of the other playlist owners and the the writers for the blogs that are on SubmitHub. And, and I kind of became friends with them. Um, and then I, I kind of, I decided I didn't want to do that. You had submit hub and you were using that with because obviously you have like the folk collective how did you grow your spotify playlists and creating that kind of thing was that through submit hub primarily so in order to get on to submit hub i had to build my playlist first and so i kind of like was desperately searching around i did a ton of research on instagram for bands that were starting to make a little bit of of a name for themselves. Um, mm. One of them, uh, some great guys from the UK, the, the band's called Stables and they're, they're an indie oh, folk. Yeah. And so I connected with Stables and other bands kind of like them who were kind of uh, on the up and just started making friends with them, adding their music to my playlists. 
Um, and as I did that, they kind of pushed my playlist to some mm. of their fans. And so slowly that's kind of how I, I managed to build up uh, my playlist to the point that submit hub would accept me, you know, mm. in the lowest ring or the lowest tier that they do. And so I built that up for nearly a year before I got some accepted by submit. So it's been a, a long drawn out, uh, long drawn out journey. And so when I got into submit hub, you know, you make 50 cents per review mm. and I wasn't trying to rip people off. You know, I was only charging people if I was giving them legitimate yeah. advice. I mean, if I thought that their music was so poor in quality, I wasn't going to take their money. I was, I was going to give them advice on how to make it better and say, you know, resubmit to me, you know, once you follow these sort of things for your mixing or, you know, for your recording. And, you know, I only really wanted to take money from people who had it. And so I started getting submissions from, uh, you know, much more famous artists who certainly had the money to, to do that promotion, or it was, yeah. it wasn't really them. It was their, their marketing. I mean, Olivia Newton, John had turned in a song to me. Oh yeah. And so, <laughs> and so you know, that was the money I was happy to take, <laughs> but that money all went right back into promoting my music. And I went through the same wailing and gnashing of teeth that every artist goes through where they get rejected by every single outlet that they send yeah. their music to. And that kind of inspired me. Like we were going to, cause we self-produce, we don't self-master anymore. We, we now have a, a mastering partner that we work with in Nashville, but we self-produce because we're control freaks for mm. one. Um, and so that's when we decided like, we're going to go make sure that we get professionally ed- uh, educated in mixing and so my, the other half of a band, now we're just a two piece. Mm. And so Ben Bigelow is, is yeah. my, uh, is the guitarist. He sings, he sings leads and backups to me as well. He lives in LA. He's a mm. film editor in Hollywood. And he started shadowing uh, a pretty big um, pop artist from Universal who he's friends with. And so he kind of spent the whole summer learning how to be essentially a professional producer. Mm. And so we've, we save a ton of money by mixing our own stuff, but I mean, it it took about a year and a half of, of learning and trial and error and failing before we got our mixing to the point that we felt like we were kind of boxing with other professional mixers. And so that saved us a lot of money. I mean, it was really the mastering because mastering is all a thing of ear. You know, those, those experts have ears that are, you know, superhuman. And so we realized like we can make a song loud but to give it the nuance of dynamic that we really wanted, we needed yeah. to get a professional in. And so I, I went with um, Bobby from 1979 uh, studios and she, she worked with the Lumineers latest album. And I, mm. I liked sonically, I liked that album and I, I thought that she could work with us and uh, it's been going really, really well, but you know, that, that, and that's kind of skipping ahead. Whereas you know, we, we were, I was paying for ads with the money I was making from submit hub and it, and I was also just paying for credits on submit hub so I could submit to other yeah. people. And, uh, I, the lowest I ever felt was when I just couldn't get anybody to even respond to me. Um, especially like music outlets. I couldn't yeah. get, you know, whiskey riff, saving country music, the boot, none of them were going to respond to me at all. And I get it because, you know, you get so much mail and if it's not a name you recognize, there's just too many artists. Yeah. Today. I mean, something like a hundred thousand people are releasing music every day worldwide on Spotify. You can't keep up, but it was just like, how am I ever going to get anywhere? No one's ever going to know my name. I'm not going to be able to, and if they don't know my name, they're not going to open my emails. Yeah. 
And I thought, how can I, how can I ever get any traction? And that's why with social media and with, with TikTok and, you know, once that video blew up where I was just saying, if you listen to Culture Wall, Tyler Childers, Cody Jinks or Sturgill Simpson, I bet it would change your mind about country music. And maybe you'd like my music too. Mm. And that video got, you know, like a million views. And then I made a video after that (laughs) kind of ranting about how annoyed I was with the Nashville scene. I had had a, a digital meetup with an Interscope uh, talent scout and I'd showed them my music and I moved heaven and earth to try to get this interview. Yeah. And uh, all it took was five minutes. They listened to it and they're like, yeah, sorry, not for us. And mm. just boom, done. And I just thought the old way is dead. Like I, I can't get anywhere the old way. I gotta, I gotta figure out something new. And the one thing that I do have is persistence. <laughs> I, uh, I, I work at, you know, I, I put it to, put aside maybe two hours every day in which I'm working on the social media and the music, Some, something with the music side, because I love it for one. And it, it kind of balances yeah. out my work day. Um, and I realized there were a lot of people, I mean, there, you know, 10,000 plus comments on that original video. And then I remade the video and then it got another, you know, 500,000 comments. And there were, and it was all people mostly saying like, wow, like you were right. Like, I thought I hated country music, but I gave you a shot. And these were, you know, black people, white people, Mexican, Asian, like these weren't stereotypical, you know, white country people. And I kind of had this thought, like, I might be on to something. Like moving past all the stereotypes of country music, like I'm trying to write music that everybody can relate to. Yeah. You know, the, the darkness that I the darkness in my music is not edginess. This isn't Slipknot. I'm not trying to like be brutal or edgy, you know. And I thought, you know, I I like Slipknot, but I'm not, I was never going to be someone like them. And instead, I wanted a much like quieter, quieter kind of dark sound that every, you know, reflects this feeling that everyone's had where, Mm. you know, something happens and you don't know if you're going to get out of it. I will always remember when uh, one day I looked in my bank and just had no idea that I had less than $0 in the bank and all my bills were still due. And I just remember that feeling. And I was like, I need to hold on to that feeling forever. Uh, you know, and be able to inject that into my music of like, you know, how am I going to live for the next day? You know, kind of put this fight into my music that it's like, I don't know how I'm going to live tomorrow, but I'm going to. And that's kind of been the, the drive behind everything my social media and my music is if if people aren't going to let you in you got to go build something else and then make it so great that everybody will want to come to the place you're building and so you know and i'm not going to gate keep people you know and it's it's not really you know some people have this vision of like oh there's no gatekeepers in this community so you know any any old person's going to be able to get their music uh you know advertised or whatnot and i'm like no some people just aren't all that good um though i personally believe everybody can get better yeah uh, the no, only totally, people that aren't totally. going to get better are the people who don't want to yeah and those people i get messages from them all the time like you want real country music you should listen to me and i'm like that's kind of cringy like you know there's a there's a better way to uh, approach that one guy pretended to be i think it was john prine's grandson fuck no he had like <laughs> he, he he was like 
why are you talking about outlaw when you could have, he's like, you didn't even ask the permission of John Prine's grandson. If, uh, if you could start calling yourself outlaw and he was like, hint, hint, he's right here. And I'm like, what? <laughs> even if you were John Prine's grandson, why would I have to ask you permission to start yeah. talking about outlaw country? Cause I was talking about you know, the history of country music, but I'm buddies with Johnny, uh, John paycheck. John B paycheck is a Johnny paycheck son. Mm. And he's one of my buddies and he's, he's actually in connection to a lot of the sons of, of Bill's original outlaws and shooter Jennings. And yeah. And he hangs out with him a lot. And so I was like, do you know this kid at all? And he's like, no, he's like, I just, he's like, I just talked to John Prine's daughter. She has no clue who that's that guy is. And, uh, I could have, I could have probably made a video that got millions of views if I just hammered him yeah. for lying to me. But I, I wasn't going to do that because yeah. that gives them attention still in a way that they could still slightly benefit from it. It could. And also, though, I didn't. People are vicious, man. Mm, and I'm not yeah. trying to like I've had the mob attacking me you know, not for political things, just for any little thing. Yeah. You know, and I've had a lot of people be very mean to me online and I've slowly started to figure out how to deal with it better. But, you know, even if that guy was making a terrible decision and lying to me so that he could get some sort of traction to his music. I didn't want to ruin it for him. Yeah. Cause I, I wanted to leave the door open for him to make better decisions. And if I, if I set the mob on him, I could have gotten tons of views. I could have been hailed as, you know, yet again, Ponzer Kings has another inside scoop into country music, but I, I don't know. I, I there has to be some kind of integrity because yeah. so many people on social media don't, have integrity and there are some people in the indie country scene who have risen to prominence using skeevy tactics yeah you know that that's one of the things i always why i like about your stuff and why i like about the people i follow on social media is the easiest way to get any kind of views or traction on social media is to go controversial straight away you go controversial you go negative it's the easiest and simplest way to start getting views but if that's the type of attention you want that's not really it's not, it doesn't have any longevity and it doesn't have an integrity or a soul to it that will actually make one of people support you in the long run. Yeah. And celebrities have feelings too. I mean, I, I made a video about Luke Combs, which wasn't attacking him at all. It was just talking about his career and the record deal that he'd signed. And he messaged me and he said, he said, you got those facts wrong, man. He's like, that's not what my record deal is like. And I was like, Oh, all right. I'll take the video down. Like, I'm sorry. I, mm. I didn't mean to get something wrong. Uh, I gave him the choice of telling me the right ones so I could make a better video, but he never did. Um, but I made a policy that I'm never going to attack another artist by name. I'll, I'll attack pop country as a entity oh, itself. Yeah. Cause I don't like it. And I won't even say that it like all sucks because it doesn't all suck. And a lot of those musicians in it are fantastic musicians and I'll dialogue with anybody in the pop country scene if they want to. And I'll do it cordially. I, I, what's Dylan Michaels. Mm. He's like a rising star. I wouldn't necessarily call him pop country. He's more of like a neo. Uh, he's, he's more like a 90s, 2000s mm. style kind of country musician. And he and I were in dialogue one time. And I just thought, you know, the only way I'm going to be proud of what I'm doing is if I act amicably with people, if I disagree respectfully with people and it's not going to shoot me to prominence. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people out there very willing to trash 
whoever. And I will always have people in my comments being like, spill the tea, bestie, tell us. And I won't. I won't give names because I'm not trying to feed the mob. And I've, you know, with the amount of people who've just been mean to me online just for no reason. Yeah. I made a video about Garth Brooks and how Garth Brooks influence, like not Garth Brooks himself, but his success inspired kind of this downturn in music quality in Nashville because, you know, they kind of had this idea like, oh, Garth Brooks can fill stadiums. How are we going to fill stadiums? Well, we have to appeal to, you know, the most general basic music listener. We have to put on a show for them and make it a circus. Um, and in that video, I'm wearing a bit of a tighter shirt. And I kid you not, hundreds of uh, comments telling me I'm too fat to be wearing that shirt. Fucking hell. Well, and the thing is, is I bought that shirt when I was in the UK and it was a small and uh, <laughs> it, it was small on me then. But I, I desperately needed something to keep me warm because I'd lost my luggage when I'd gone up mm. to the Northeast. And, uh, and it was in the middle of winter. And so I, I just desperately needed something to keep me warm. And uh, so I was just wearing that because I wasn't thinking about what I was wearing. But the amount of people who were cruel just for, I yeah, for the sake of being, for yeah, for no reason. And I just thought, I don't ever want to add to this or I don't ever want to give those people a target to go hit. You know, I, I just want to build positivity. I want to yeah. build, you know, a love between all these indie country artists all over the world who may feel like they're alone by themselves, you know, but all together, you know, we could make a really cool online community and i feel like we're kind of doing that mm. like i've i've discovered other country artists through tiktok or through instagram that i really like and i've reached out to them and we've kind of started friendships and you know like i said with bridge city centers you know i i really was was vibing with them as, as we were talking and i was just like you know good people i want to put them on yeah. if i can and you know if somebody's going to get mad that i'm an upstart that they've never heard of I mean, that's the thing I always get is I've never heard of you. Why do you think you're so important? I've never heard of you. And I'm like, why is you hearing about me mean anything? Yeah. Are you the arbiter of what's important or not? Like, like, yeah, you're not going to hear about me because you don't need to. Yeah. But you're hearing about me now. So right. I, I'm like, at what you know, point does it matter? Well, what they really want is they're, what they're saying is the people I think are important should be telling yeah. me that you're important. But that is the way that it works, mm. you know? Not even five years ago, if you didn't have the approval of one of the main outlets for country music, you're nobody. Mm. And now I'm in a weird position to where I, I sometimes have a bigger following and more power than some of these outlets who kept rejecting me. Yeah. To the point that now they're trying to get me to like put them on. Yeah. And it was, it was really strange. And they, they, Whiskey Riff has been kind to me. They've never had me on or anything, but they've been putting me on their playlists and kind of silently have started supporting me over the last year. And I really like Whiskey Riff and I think they, they do an amazing thing and I mm -hmm. like their podcast. But, um, you know, they were one of those groups that, you know, I, I, I couldn't get a hold of, you know, and I, you know, they didn't want anything to do with me at first. And I get it. But yeah. that was kind of yeah. one of the soul crushing things. And so the first time that they just, without any fanfare, just added one of my new singles to their, uh, you know, new music Friday playlists. And I just thought like, wow, mm. like this has gotten out of hand, but it's gotten big enough to where, you know, these outlets that I respect so much are like starting to come to me for their information. And I, I don't know. I, mm. I think the, the key is just to, just keep doing what you're doing and yeah. be 
humble about it and not think that you've arrived or that you're special by any means. Mm. Just, just keep being the guy in the barn. Yeah. The, the video quality of my videos greatly improved because I made a video telling everybody, like I'm using a free phone that I got with my plan that has a terrible camera. And just one of my followers on TikToks, like I've got a used Android 20 plus that I'm getting rid of because I'm upgrading. You want it. Mm. I was like, oh my gosh, yes. And, you know, just little things like that greatly improved my ability to make these videos. But I'm still, I have to confess, I'm not putting the kind of effort in that some of these people with millions of. Yeah, no, you see like you see rigs on some stuff and it's insane what they've got. But it's it's interesting what you're saying, because it's it's hard being in like any industry, especially the music industry, where everything is transactional. And it's hard when you're just starting out, because really apart from the music you have no value to you know say whiskey riff or whoever because if they write an article about you that's doing you a favor you share it Mm -hmm. to your five fans they're not getting anything out of it and it's as you start climbing that ladder that you realize you can offer that value to people and obviously it gets to a level where if you like someone and their music and they like you and that your music that's the sometimes that's all the transaction you need but especially in outlets where they're paying for advertising and stuff, you do have to bring something more to the table. Yeah. And that's kind of where my playlists have come in again. You know, amazing taste. Mm. Um, in fact, I would say that I'm a bit, I'm a bit behind the times a lot. <laughs> Uh, it takes me a while. Like most of the time when I hear a new record, I don't like it the first time I hear it, no matter who it is. Yeah. It takes, but then about two or three times later, I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You just thought you could play banjo. Then he was getting jealous. Just coming after the banjo. <laughs> yeah. And so my playlists are kind of like where I can, I can start adding other musicians and put my own music as well. Yeah. The thing with the playlists is that that also subtly starts telling the algorithm of Spotify yeah. and Apple Music and whatnot, like who you're like and who's like you. And we can kind of do this mutually beneficial thing where we start speaking to each other's audiences. We start yeah. pulling them together into this kind of online scene. And the, the whole spooky banjo time playlist thing, I had no idea it was going get that big i mean my my biggest playlist before that was my you don't hate country music playlist which i had put a ton of time and effort into curating um and then here comes this spooky banjo time playlist that somebody had begged me to make i had covid when i made it so i was bored (laughs) i was actually in costa rica on a vacation that i'd gotten covid on so i had to just sit inside this you know i was on this hammock uh at this uh airbnb and I was like, all right, fine. People keep begging me to make some gothic country playlist. You know, I'll do it. I didn't want to because making <laughs> playlists takes a long time. Yeah. So I just started throwing together artists, like ones that I could think of, you know, looking up related artists. And I started throwing them on. And then as I did it, I just like, oh, this is what's cool about gothic is it's kind of an aesthetic more than yeah. just a genre. So I can start throwing, you know, indie folk people. I can throw country. I can throw bluegrass, you know, who fit this kind of like, you know, autumn dark <coughs> folky sound so you know i can have a playlist that has bridge city centers and jack white on it yeah and uh it has 60 near 62,000 followers now that's more than a lot of spotify's editorial playlists get mm. 
And it boomed in like three weeks. It went from zero to that. And I started having artists who were on it thanking me, like big time artists, or at least big time to me, sending me messages, thanking me for putting it on, asking, you know, if I'd be interested in hearing their record early so that Mm. I can think of what I want to put on that playlist. And I'm just like, you're treating me a little too nice. Like, Mm. I'm a nobody. I just made this in my hammock. Mm. (laughs) The amount of effort I'm putting into my videos, like I put effort into it, but I'm, I don't have a $10,000 rig. I'm not making tons of money off of it. A lot of people have been like, you know, you have 220,000 followers. You don't know what it's like. You're making all that money. I'm like, what money? Yeah. I make no money. (laughs) Every now and then nice people donate money to my donate button. And that goes instantly into my music. I just, In my mastering engineer, I just sent off, you know, the tracks for the new album. I just paid for it completely out of the money that I have made off the channel and royalties, which is a great feeling to be in profit for the first time in my life. Mm. But it's not big money. No. You know, it was barely enough to pay for this mastering engineer. And that's cool. Yeah. But like none of us are making big bucks. Maybe when I was 16, I thought like my favorite indie bands were like making good money. Yeah. And now I realize, oh, no one yeah. ever was. You know, the reality comes in hard. But with your new music, are you looking, because you did your first album in 2013. And since then, I think you've done like 13 singles since 2020. With the new record, are you looking at releasing it differently for different platforms? Like what I've kind of taken the approach for is bandcamp is where the full album goes if people want to buy physical all that stuff and then spotify it's kind of just singles and singles and singles to play into that algorithm is that how you're going to be approaching your album release or so interestingly enough our first album actually came out in 2010 we re-released it in 2013 um when we had gotten we'd started working with a promoter and we'd had re-released it for that reason. But even that first album was very rudimentally recorded in our basement. Um, and that's an album that I would love to remaster, but we lost all the original oh. uh, master files to it, which is a big shame. And we released another album in 2016, but I took it down mm. um, because its production was hell. Um, the band was falling apart. We were breaking up essentially, but trying to finish this record mm. before we did. And so the quality was bad and, People were high when they were recording because because I was just trying to get them on the track. And uh, and so this new album actually has a lot of songs from that record that I took down, uh, mm. remixed. You know, we played a whole bunch of the the tracks back and, you know, recorded over them to where, you know, I'm I can be proud of them. I think I had been releasing singles and I think that at least for the next three releases, it's going to be albums. Yeah. It's going to be small albums. It's not going to be Zach Bryan, 34 song <laughs> albums, because I can't afford to master 34 songs all at once. Basically it's like, it's release an album, use the royalties that I get from, you know, as the music starts to pick up and then yeah. use those royalties to pay for the next one. Um, and the reason I'm doing that is because I've realized that a lot of my followers specifically, they like to listen to albums or, you know, they listen to playlists, but they love to put on an album while they're driving or while they're working outside or something. And they like to have one song after another. Yeah. Because when I was just focusing on singles, people would listen to a song on their playlists, which they do passively. Yeah. They passively listen. Um, they don't interact with it all that much. Um, they might like it 
but the amount of times they have to hear your song before they're like, all right, I want to check them out and look up more yeah. is a lot. I mean, the, I remember I took a marketing class, a uh, music marketing class uh, for free online, just so I could learn about how mm. that psychology works. And it's normally three or four times before they're ready to actually check you out. Whereas I've built enough of a following who wants to listen to my music that I figured, you know, I should give them an album of cohesive songs that fit together. It's, it's also fun to yeah. do it that way. And, you know, using the singles to use the Spotify algorithms, the smart thing. I guess I'm kind of tired of being smart for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of want them, the people listening to kind of experience the album. Yeah. You want to create a whole adventure for them and something that you can sink their teeth into. Yeah. And you know, and it may fail horribly and you know, it's okay. It's not going to financially ruin me because the, if I'm not doing this for the fun of it at the heart, you know, well, what's the point? And if other people really like it and I make some money off of it, that's great. Yeah. But you know, when I, since three years ago, I thought my music career was over and now I'm, you know, I actually have an audience. Yeah. I've got friends, you know, I, I've got all these people that I'm adding onto my albums who are, you know, making a name for themselves mm. and I can just do what I want. The next yeah. album after this is going to be like a, a much more dark minor key album, but it's not going to be a heavy album. Mm. And then the album after that is where I'm going to explore this concept of grunge country, yeah. which I, I'm very enamored with the idea. I love grunge music. I always have. I'm a 90s baby. And I've always wanted to do what Alice in Chains did with country music. Mm. You know, it's, it's not going to be heavy as in like full of, uh, it's not going to be like heavy metal or like heavy grunge, but I want to give it that feeling. And I have a whole bunch of songs that, you know, kind of have that dirt, Alice and James yeah. feel to it uh, that I've just always wanted to to dig more into, but never thought I could. Mm. I mean, my our very first album, I had like one or two really dark songs, and it'll always stick with me. One music reviewer, because we got music blogs to review us back then, uh, had said, "You know, you sound most yourself in these dark songs, and the other ones you sound a bit derivative, but in this dark, mm. that sounds like it's really you." And that and is true. Yeah. The, the dark stuff really is me. I'm, a, I'm always going to be a metalhead who plays country music. And I think that this is a beautiful time to be that. Mm. I mean, I feel like there's just a lot of people out there who no longer feel like they have to be defined by genre. No, totally. Because it was kind of 10 years ago, even like you, you listened to an exclusive genre. And if you liked anything else, it was a guilty pleasure. Yeah. You, know, you, you wore the full metal getup, or you wore the full country or you were a punk, you know, and now a lot people feel a lot freer to just explore what it is that they like. Yeah, man. That's why I enjoyed one of your phrases. It was the, it's the end of the guilty pleasure era. And I really enjoyed that because it is, it's everyone's just diverse and everyone's doing what they're doing. And with your albums, you've got enough of a following and a fan base now that you can take those threads and explore them in a way that you feel comfortable. You can release them to people who will appreciate them. Yeah. And there's not a lot of artists coming out of my area. I mean, Nick Shoulders is a, is a really good yeah. musician who, who lives about two and a half hours south of me in Arkansas. And uh, Brian Andrews is somebody who really did well on TikTok. And he lives about an hour and a half uh, north of me. And I, I kind of just wanted to see like what sort of unique reflection of the place that I live could I record because yeah. country music used to be, you did the Nashville sound. 
And there's still so many young artists who copy the Nashville sound. I mean, I, I played a gig with John D. Hale uh, a couple months ago, and we had some some really young local country artists mm. lo- opening up. And they had all these songs that they were singing about their dream of moving to Nashville and how one day all their friends from high school are going to be in a, an arena listening to their songs. <laughs> and I just it, it's cute and endearing, but I, I kind of also just think like, oh, I don't want that for you. Like, yeah, you've got to find your own voice and path to it. Yeah, I don't I don't want you to be what Nashville wants you to be. Because yeah. when you move to Nashville, you, you kind of have to fit into that scene and you're going to be competing with thousands of other people. It's mm-hmm. a competitive place where like everyone pretends to be each other's friend, but they would backbite each other. They would cut each other off at the legs the moment they could so they could get a chance. I didn't want to be in that place. I wanted to be in a place where everyone loves each other, yeah. loves each other's music, you know, hypes each other up every time we have a release because we're not in competition. And down here in Southern Missouri, I can do that. Mm. Um, and I can tell artists, you know, be who you are and reflect the place that you are. Yeah. And, you know, in the Ozark mountains, we have deep poverty. We've got violence issues. We've got drug issues. Um, a lot of folks are living like it's a hundred years ago out in the mountains. And I wanted to make music for those people, mm. make them feel seen yeah, you know, kind of make little mini documentaries in my own songs. Ozark Gothic was that was like it was me driving through uh, the Boston Mountain Range, which is just about an hour south of me, and just the people that you meet mm. in those areas who you know they they live deep. They hardly see anybody. Uh, a lot of them are missing teeth because they don't have the money for for good dental. Some of them hardly speak English. Um, some of them are immigrants mm. three generations long who still never learned English. There are people who still speak like Scottish broche yeah. deep in the mountains down here. And they just, they never really adapted to American English and you can hardly understand what they say. You know, they still sing those old Celtic songs. Um, and I just wanted to make something that sounded like them mm you could see their face when you heard that that music and i I can't do that with red cup pickup truck i was told by a songwriting scout in nashville that nashville wants party songs yeah feel good music and she and she wasn't saying that sarcastically she was saying you need to write feel good songs about partying that's what nashville wants that's what the major labels want and she said don't fake it if you don't live that life, if you're not a hard partier, don't write those songs because yeah. they are they're not reflective of you. No, and they'll know no. and they'll know that it's fake. And I was like, so you're just telling me that there's no hope for me then because I'm not a hard partier and never will be, and that my style of music isn't gonna make it in Nashville. And she said no. And she was right. And thank God. I you know, I I I don't think that's the sort of place where a lot of us can thrive. A lot of us no. thrive in our, in our home areas when, you know, when we're, you know, you're proud of the Liverpool, you know, old country sound and trying yeah. to you know, incorporate that into all your other, uh, all your other influences. Mm. And we're in a really unique place in music history, I suppose, where you can kind of start building a scene around yourself yeah. and what you're interested in. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of build those fans really grassroots. I mean, that's mm. why everyone loves Zach Bryan so much. Yeah. Zach Bryan's fans will kill you on the spot. If you say <laughs> something bad about him 
because they've been with him since, you know, he uploaded a terrible quality video of him playing guitar on his back porch when he was on leave from the Navy yeah, man. on YouTube. Yeah. It's all about and just it, like that journey and like sticking with them and having, you know, that experience and history and background that people want to just root for you. Yeah. And, and now it's huge. Now he's yeah. even playing on country radio. Um, yeah. We had a song play on country radio. We had a country radio station. I, I forget where I feel really bad now. I should remember this. We had a country radio station. I, I found out two months ago that uh, uh, I got a call, and they were just like, "Yeah, you were playing on country radio mm. down in down in this town," and I just on FM radio. Yeah, like, yeah, nice. you were playing on their their morning country show, and like like we that's a it's insane. Yeah, no, that's that, such, uh, it shows just like the complete kind of like full circle of it. I think you know that might be a great place to end this because it just shows how far you've come and how much everything kind of is embraced. It's a really cool thing to see. Well, yeah. And I would, I would hope that, you know, you all and everyone else who's kind of followed along with me and given me any sort of support, like y'all know that you're a part of it too. Mm. Like it's not just me. It's, it's all of us who we're all doing our little part to just show people that there's a bit of a better way to let artists know that yeah. they don't have to give it all up if they, they want to do what they love and we can help each other just get a little better. It's always good to have friends. Yeah, man. That's all we can do. And that is episode four of the rogue country podcast in the bag i can't say into the van is into the bag anymore it's a weird transition to get my tongue around but i really hope you enjoyed the rogue country podcast we've got t-shirts coming we're going on tour we're going to be with you very very soon check out the nick shoulders tour keep supporting the things you love and keep doing the things you love guys until next time stay safe